Take your Bibles, if you will, turn with me back to Habakkuk, chapter number 3. Habakkuk, chapter 3. As we saw this morning, Habakkuk 3 starts out with Habakkuk praying. And as he prayed, we saw this morning that he is, through the revelation of God concerning himself, God showing Habakkuk himself. Now Habakkuk has said, I'm willing to receive, I'm willing to accept everything that you said you're going to do. So he's went from a place of being confused about what God said he was going to do to not only accepting what God said he was going to do, but praying, God, may it be in my years. In other words, do it. This is what's needful. This is what's right. This is the answer. And then as I said this morning, beginning in verse 3 through verse 15, Habakkuk begins to break out in song. (laughs) Now this song Habakkuk is singing is a song that just kindly, if you will, rehearses all of God's mighty and wondrous work in which he has done and in rehearsing the character and nature of God in regards to those works. Now you say, well, why in the world would Habakkuk go down that road? Because listen, when God does what he said he was going to do, raise these Chaldeans to pull Judah out of the land of Israel into bondage, how many of you agree the only way God's people will make it through that time. It's not only in repentance, but in remembering who God is and what God has proven himself to be. Now, here's one of the amazing things, folks. God proves himself to us all the time. And you say, well, he don't have to do that or he shouldn't do that. I agree. But aren't you glad in God's mercy he does? And so God in his mercy proves himself to us all the time. I mean, you'd think, well, we, what we know about God ought to be enough. We ought to trust him and who he is, and he shouldn't have to continue to prove himself. But I'm glad today, because I know it well about you, but sometimes I get hard-headed. And God has to remind me of his character and nature and grace. And that's really what Habakkuk is singing here. Now, with that being said, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's word, I want you to see this with me. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Now, I want you to stop right there. The word Selah means think on this for a minute. Now, you say, well, what in the world has he said that I'm to think on? That God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. You say, well, that's... What's the big deal about that? Well, you're going to find out it is a big deal. Think on this. His glory covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as light. And he had horns coming out of his hand. And there was a hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. That's the first stanza of this song that Habakkuk sings. Father... I just pray, Father, as we deal with this text, as we break down this text, 
Father, as I always pray, you'd be words from my mouth, thoughts from my mind. Father, you'd speak for your glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. One of the things that Habakkuk is going to rehearse here in this psalm is God's dealings with Israel throughout the birth and the journeys of the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk's going to remind himself, but at the same time in an attitude of praise towards God, God, this is what you've done, and this is who you are. Now, I want to tell you something. It would do you good to do that every now and then because when you fill your mind with the thoughts of God, I promise you, when you start going through difficult times, it'll help you immensely. And so Habakkuk's now just filling his mind by a song on the thoughts of God. Now, let's walk through this together for just a moment. The first thing you see here is the presence of God. This is where Habakkuk begins with the presence of God. If you'll look at the wording here in verse 3, it says God came. Now, the word here, God, is a little bit of a different variation of the Hebrew word. We always are familiar with the term Elohim. Well, the word here is just Elo. In other words, it's just a prefix for Elohim. And so what it speaks of is very rarely is this used in the New Testament. It's used in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 15, referring to God was the creator of the nation of Israel. And so here is what Habakkuk begins to sing. God has come. The mighty creator of Israel, the one that birthed Israel, has come. And what he begins to do is lay out that God came, and when God came, he came not only to bring a nation into existence, but he came to deliver a nation who was in bondage. And so Habakkuk just goes back here, and he begins to recollect, and he begins to mind himself of the God who came on behalf of Israel. How many of you agree today that if God saved you today, God came to you, you didn't come to him? Aren't you glad that the Holy One, the mighty creator of all things, the one, listen, that took nothing and made something, aren't you glad that God took nothing in yourself and made you something when he saved you? God came. So what? referring to here? Well, a couple of things. The deliverance of God. These terms, Tamar and Paran, what are they? They are two mountains that, if you will, flank Sinai. And so when you come to the place, what is he referring to? God came out of Sinai and God came and delivered his people. Now, you got to remember, what Habakkuk is reminding himself here is how God brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage, and took them to the land of Canaan. And so what he's doing here is he's comprehending the whole journey of God's deliverance. And in God's deliverance, 
Habakkuk understood that it was only by the presence, it was only because God came, were they ever even delivered. And you do understand today, don't you? That every act of deliverance is a work of the person of God. And if it's not the person of God, it was not deliverance at all. In other words, you can't deliver yourself. And so Habakkuk is reminding himself of this very truth. So God came out of Sinai, he met Moses, and in order to deliver the children of Israel. And so this is what he's referring to. Now you say, well, why is it important? Because Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Let me tell you something. Something that you and I need to remind ourselves of all the time is how God brought us to himself. You say, why do I need to remind myself of that? Because it reminds you not only of that moment when you saw yourself in light of who God is and God exalted himself as holy and brought you to a place of understanding the depth of your sin. But at the same time, you'll remind yourself that God came to you. You didn't come to him. You'll remind yourself that you didn't save yourself. God did it. You'll remind yourself that the only hope and help you had was that God came. And you'll remind yourself that God didn't have to come. But it came anyway. It's called grace. Habakkuk said, hey. I know what God's going to do. I understand what God's going to do. I accept what God's going to do. Oh, God, would you do it? Because I know you came. I know what you did for us as Israel. And so you see this amazing deliverance of God through his presence. Now, here's really what Habakkuk is saying. He's really saying this. If he did it once, he can do it again. Now you say, why is that important? Well, listen. Remember what God told Habakkuk. I'm going to take Judah and I'm going to put him in bondage to the Chaldeans. But yet Habakkuk also knows from chapter 2 that God's going to eventually deal with the Chaldeans. So now what does Habakkuk need to have faith? The just shall live by. So what does Habakkuk need to have faith? Then God's already demonstrated in his deliverance. And in demonstrating his deliverance, Habakkuk knows that Israel needs to be reminded of what God did in delivering them from Egypt because God's going to do it again in delivering them from Babylon. So, if you're saved today, did God deliver you? All right, let me ask you a question. Moment by moment, day by day, as a child of God, is God still having to deliver you? You say, from what? How about your flesh? And moment by moment, but day by day, God's doing... Let me tell you something. I've talked to you all this before, but I want to remind you of it. Sanctification is salvation repeated over and over and over again. Now you say, what do you mean? It's not that God saves you again. But sanctification is God's grace working through faith to set you apart unto himself moment by moment, day by day. 
Because without grace, you couldn't have been saved. And without grace, you would have no desire to let God sanctify you. And so this is what God has done with the nation of Israel. Now, let me show you a second. Not only does the presence of God speak of the deliverance of God, God came. But it speaks of the demonstration of God. How did God demonstrate himself in Sinai? How did God demonstrate himself in delivering Israel? Well, he demonstrated himself in many ways. How many agree today that if anything, Israel would know God was faithful to them? If anything, Israel would know God's favor was upon them. How many of you agree that they would know God is their protector? God is their provider. And so in every way, here's what Habakkuk is, is singing. God came from Taman. God, the Holy One, came from Mount Paran. Hey, do you remember how God delivered and how God demonstrated His faithfulness to us? Think on that a minute. That's what he's saying. The word means to pause. Nothing else needs to be said until you absorb what's already been said. That's what the word Selah means. So not only do you find in this opening statement of this song the presence of God, you find the purity of God. Because notice what it says. The whole one from or out of Mount Paran. Now remember, I said Mount Paran was the one flank of Sinai, and Taman, which would symbolize, if you would, a little bit of Edom was on the other side of Mount Sinai. And here's what it says, but God came from Mount Paran. Why is that significant? Because here's what he's saying. The Holy One. It wasn't just God who created Israel, but the Holy One came. What was the significant event that happened at Sinai? The law of God was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And so what he's saying here is the Holy One has revealed himself. The Holy One, the one that gave us the law, the one that revealed his holiness, the one whose presence shook the mountain, he's the one that came. And he's the one that's going to come. I want to tell you something today, folks. There's coming a day he's coming back. Can I tell you what? When he comes back, he will shake everything up. You study the Bible. You study when God manifested his presence. And here's what you're going to find. Something took place. Things didn't stay the way they were. And so what do we find here? Not only the presence of God, but the purity of God. So here's what Habakkuk is singing. The reality of God's holiness. The Holy One is going to come. Now, you say, well, preacher, I believe you're reaching here. I believe you're reading into this text something that's not there. Well, then you need to tell Moses that. You say, what do you mean? Well, listen, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2 through 4. You tell me if I'm reading into this text something that's not there. 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2 through 4, And he said, The Lord came from Mount Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. There it is. And he came with ten thousands of his saints. And from his right hand went the fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people, and all his saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. So in other words, God's coming. God came. God's coming. God's good did deliver. God's going to deliver. But listen to me. God that delivered and God that delivered, it always begins with his holiness. Because that was the purpose in the law. To show the holiness of God. It's like old Bertha Smith used to say, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. When you know the holiness of God, you won't have a problem seeing your sin. And he said, the Holy One who came with the law, the Holy One that came from Paran, the Holy One that came with the law of God, he said this is the reality of his holiness. But what about the resolve due to his holiness? So why did he reference this in such emphatic terms? That he says, pause and think about it. Because what was the thing that Habakkuk struggled with at the end of chapter 1. He struggled with how God could use an evil people like Babylon and maintain his holiness. Would you all agree with that? Say amen. But now Habakkuk is convinced of the very fact that what God doing is just and right. And so here's what Habakkuk's saying. The Holy One came from Paran. The Holy One came with the law, proving His holiness. And here's what he says. I believe this is what he's talking about. Therefore, everything God does will always be 100% consistent with His holiness. I have people tell me all the time, God said it was okay for me to do this or not do this. I had a lady one time, God told me it was okay. I didn't have to go to church anymore. I looked at her and I said, I don't know who told you that, but I promise you it was not God. Because if God told you that, then God is ceases to be God. You say, why? Because it goes against his holiness. It goes against his word. It goes against his truth. And therefore, God will never allow or do anything that will go against his holiness. So how can I judge in my life if I'm walking in the will of God? Does it in any way, shape, or form go against or is contrary to the holiness of God? People come to me all the time and say, Preacher, is 
is me doing this okay with God? Here's what I like to tell them. If you're saved and God lets you get away with it, then it's okay. But what they ask me, I know the answer. God's not going to let them get away with it. Here's another way I tell them. If Jesus Christ manifested himself right here, would you do that? No, preacher, I wouldn't do that. I said, well, what does that take? Are y'all hearing me say amen? You see, Habakkuk understood that it wasn't just Elo, the one that created Israel that came, but it was the Holy One who came from the law, came with the law, came in all his holiness. And here's what Habakkuk's saying, oh God, I understand, I accept your work now. And as I prayed, God, do it. In these years, would you do it? Because everything you're going to do is always consistent with your holiness. And so, you see the presence of God and the purity of God in this first statement. And so Habakkuk, after that, here's what he says. Just stop. Think on that a minute. Well, let me show you a third one. His song erupts in an attitude of praise. The praise of God. He said his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. This word cover is a Hebrew word that can be translated clothe. So what is this glory that Habakkuk is talking about that clothed heaven. How many agree the glory of God exemplifies every characteristic and character of God? How many agree the Bible says when we get the glory there'll be no need of a sun or a moon? Because why? The glory of the Lord will fill that place. So in other words, here's what Habakkuk says. The Holy One that is coming and the Holy One that came is glory. Close all of heaven. In other words, heaven is covered with his glory. Say, well, preacher, if that's true, how will I ever get in there? Because God created you for his glory. But before God, who created you for his glory, could let you get in on his glory, he had to give you the hope of glory. 
because you came short of the glory. And therefore, God gave you the hope of glory, a person, the Lord Jesus. And when God gave you the person of the Lord Jesus, tell you what happened. You became enshrined in the person of the Lord who is the glory of God. How many of you agree that Moses in the Old Testament, he cried out to God, God, I just want to see your glory. Y'all remember that? God said, oh, you can't look up on me and leave. I want to see your glory. God takes him up a mountain. And Moses just gets a glimpse, glimpse of the backside of God's glory. Can I tell you what that glimpse of glory did to Moses? It enshrined him. You say, what do you mean? It enclosed him. You say, what do you mean? When Moses went before the people, he had to put a veil up on his face because his, the brightness of the glory was so bright on his face. His countenance was changed. And he shined. So you tell me, how does someone receive the hope of glory, the Lord Jesus, and not be changed? If just a glimpse would cause that with Moses. Do you understand today that when God saved you, you received the full essence of of his glory. So can I ask you a question? Are you shining? Goodness. Psalm 104, verse 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covereth thyself with light and with a garment who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Habakkuk got the I can't help it. Your glory has clothed the heavens. Now remember, his holiness is part of that glory. And in the law was the representation of his holiness. Look what it says here. Second Thess or Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. But if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones, talking about the law, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Go down to verse 11. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that that remaineth is glorious. The Holy One comes from Mount Paran with the law revealing his holiness. And Habakkuk says, the glory of your holiness covers all of heaven. But we live in a day today where people are trying to invent ways 
to teach Christians that it's okay not to live in the holiness of God. I got a word for you. May God forgive us. Well, the praise of God, the claws or the clothes of his glory, the confirming of his glory, his glory covereth the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Say, preacher, what's that talking about? Here's what Habakkuk come to realize. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do you understand that every created thing of God is a praise concerning his glory? Do you understand today that when God saved you, you're to be a praise concerning his glory? You see, Jesus said at one time, he said, if you don't praise me, I'll call these rocks to praise me. You say, why would he call rocks to praise you? Because even creation understands more about the praise of the glory of God than man does. So you see the praise of God. You see the presence of God. You see the purity of God. But let me show you, fourthly, the penetration of God. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand. In other words, God in all of his glory what was the representation of the glory of God when Moses got that glimpse? The radiance. When Jesus Christ was transfigured before those three disciples, what caused them to fall on their face? Because the splendor of the glory of God clothed the person of Christ. Let me tell you what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration. As man, his flesh clothed, or if you will, tempered the glory of God, the radiance of the glory of God. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, here's what God did. God allowed the radiance that was being tempered by the flesh to come out. And when it came out, the disciples, the three, all they could do is fall on their face in absolute awe. The penetration of God. Let me show you a couple of things. The piercing of his brilliance. And his brightness was as a light. That wording here in the Hebrew is kind of difficult, but best I can do with it, here's what it's referring to, the rising of the sun. In other words, his brilliance is as the rising of the sun. dealing with the radiance of his presence, his brilliance. But not only the piercing of his brilliance, but the piercing of his brightness. Notice what it says. He had horns coming out of his hand. Now, y'all not going to shoot me if I say this, are you? Are y'all going to be okay if I say what I'm about to say? You say, well, preacher, I don't know what you're going to say. Well, you're going to have to just be okay with it anyway. The word horns here is a bad translation. The word horns in the Hebrew is translated rays. 
The rays of his glory, the rays of his light, the rays of his brilliance, the rays of his brightness, the rays of his holiness came out of his hands. What is it referring to? The manifested work of God. The manifested brightness of God's glory was seen in his mighty work. So here's what Habakkuk's saying. God, what you're about to do, I, I, I accept it. I say, God, do it. Do it in the midst of my years. Revive thy work in the midst of my years. Because the might, the manifested work you're about to do, it. it's like your glory coming out of your own hands. Well... Notice, fifthly, the power of God. Coming out of hand, the hand also symbolizes that of power. And so God has power in himself. Notice what it says. It says, and his horns come out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. So we see God's power. What are you talking about? God is able to do whatever he chooses to do. Can I tell you today, God is never limited by man, by Satan, by this world, or by any nation. He's never limited. I hear people telling me all the time, well, if we would pray harder, God's hand would turn and he'd do a mighty work. I got news for you. God can do a mighty work if you don't pray at all. But you ought to pray all the time. Matter of fact, the Bible says without ceasing. But it's not that God would turn his hand and do something that he didn't want to do before. You pray all the time so you can get in on what God already determined to do before you ever were. Say, well, if I don't pray, God won't save my family member. I got news for you. It's not his will that any should perish. God wants to save your family member whether you pray or not. But God wants you to pray. Why? Because God wants you to stand in the gap for that family member. But God not only wants you to stand in the gap for that family member, God wants you to get in on what God's going to do in that family member. Are y'all hearing me? How many of you remember when God delivered Israel? The Shekinah glory of God in the form of a cloud went with Israel everywhere they went. Cloud by day, fire by what? How many agree? There was one time Israel was up against, up against it. They didn't have anywhere to go. The Egyptian taskmasters were coming down upon them and the cloud of God's Shekinah glory went between Israel and the Egyptians. How many agree the cloud of glory, it says, went before them? I want to tell you something, folks. He has the power to do anything as long as it's consistent with his holiness and his glory. Well, let me show you sixthly and lastly the providence of God. Look at verse 5. Before him went the pestilence, and the burning coals went forth at his feet. What's Habakkuk referring to here? The plagues of Egypt. So Habakkuk is, remember, 
Micah's reminding himself from Taman to Paran, from Mount Sinai to Canaan. What all God did to manifest his glory, the brilliance of his light. And Habakkuk goes back and says, even in the midst of our bondage, when Pharaoh told Moses, I will not let the people go. Who is God? That's what Pharaoh said. Because remember what Moses said. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God said, let who's God? So God said to Moses, okay. Let me manifest my work. One plague. Moses went back. Who is God? Another plague. Moses went back. Bible says each time God, Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. But let me tell you what happened. After the fourth time, the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And finally, in the last plague, where the death angels swept through Egypt, Moses didn't even have to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, get out of here! the remembrance of God's work. Habakkuk said, I remember what God did. Pestilence, burning coals went forth as his feet. I remember what God did. I remember how God delivered us from Egypt. Now, you say, well, why would Habakkuk be remembering this? Because, God, you're going to do it again with the Babylonians. We're not going to have to stay in captivity the rest of our days. You're using them as a tool of grace to bring us to repentance, but God, you're going to deliver us just like you did then. And this leads to the rest in God's work. I've never fought in battle, I've never been in a war. And so I cannot say that I understand what those who have fought in battles were thinking or went through. But I have asked those that have. And one of the things I've always wondered is what was going through their mind before they went into battle. As all those soldiers were on those ships at D-Day, what was going through their mind before they placed themselves in those beach craft that would hit the sand? And this is what every one of them have told me. We just didn't know what was going to I mean, agree, anybody that's ever went into battle don't know if they're going to come out alive. We just don't know what's going to happen. But I got some good news for you folks. Habakkuk knew what was going to happen. He knew God was going to come. He knew God was going to deliver. He knew God was going to deal with Judah's sin, but he also knew God was going to deal with Babylon's sin. He knew God 
what God was going to do. He may not have known how God was going to do it. He may not have known how long it was going to take God to do it. But he knew God was going to deliver them. Let me tell you something, folks. I've read the end of the book. I know what's going to happen. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Are we in a spiritual warfare? We are. But there's a big difference. And you say, what's the big difference? Because here's the big difference. We know the outcome. You say, well, preacher, what if God sends me to a foreign land where I'm killed for the faith? You still know the outcome. Absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If you go into something knowing what the conclusion is going to be, can't you rest? Now, I want to say this again. Habakkuk prayed in verse 1 and 2. But you don't sing unless you're at rest. And Habakkuk was at rest. Why? Because God had taught him who he was. And Habakkuk was at rest. God, this is needed. You're holy. This is in line with your holiness. This is exactly what you need to do. I accept it. God, I pray you do it now. Because God, I know, just as you came to us in, in Egypt, you're going to come to us in Babylon. Christian, can I tell you something? How many of you are sick of this thinking world? God's going to come to you one day. He's going to announce his coming with the trumpet blast, which is the sound of victory. And at that moment, you're going to be caught up in the air if you don't breathe your last breath first. Hey, can I tell you? We win! We win. We win. Father, to you be the glory for who you are. To you be the glory for what you've done, but what you're going to do. To you be the glory for the hope that is within us. To you be the glory that you have for everyone saved in here. You have delivered us, and you are delivering us, and you will continue to deliver us. Father, remind us that only those things that are in consistency with your holiness do you have anything to do with? So, Father, I pray that in the reminder of this text, our hearts have been lifted up to see you high and lifted up. But in seeing you high and lifted up, I pray that at the same time, we'd be willing to ask, God, is there anything in my life not consistent with your holiness? And Father, whatever you show us, I pray we would deal with. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name. And all God's children said,